I'm going to read Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. And you'll hear that this reading starts off with a challenge for us, and then you'll see the kindness of Jesus in the synagogue. So Luke chapter 13. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Or those 18, when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone. For one more year, and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up And praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue rulers said to the people, There are six days to work, so come and be healed on one of those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people 
were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Lovely to see you. Nice to have be invited back again. And uh, just trust that the Lord will bless all of us, me included. So now, uh, the passage of scripture that I'm using today um, is uh, is one that's found in the church lectionary. Uh, when I'm not given a subject to speak on or a passage to speak on, I look to see what the rest of the Christian community throughout the world are looking at today. And there must be millions of Christians who are actually looking at this passage of Scripture today because it's there in the church lectionary. So I make no apologies for this, and it's the reason why. And when God gives me a passage, that's it. It's lovely. When God gives a message, that's it. So here we are. Luke chapter 13 and Jesus and uh, the situation. But to put it in its context... Jesus has just finished uh, the Sermon on the Mount. If you look in the chapter before that, chapter 12, you will see that uh, it's Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And that teaching, of course, brought its challenge. It's provoked a number of people, like a lot of Jesus' teaching did. And there was a fair bit of conversation afterwards, and uh, amongst his followers particularly, And, uh, you know, those people asked him, now, look, there was this tragedy when, you know, Pilate sacrificed the lives of several people uh, in the temple when uh, they they were making their, their own sacrifices. It was a ghastly thing to happen. It was as bad as what happened in New Zealand. Pilate was that kind of person. And he couldn't put up with anyone who didn't, disagree, didn't agree with him. And so there was slaughter. And so the people asked, well, what about it? Did they deserve it? Because they'd been listening to Jesus' teaching, and there were various doubts going round in their minds. This is a different way of looking at things. That's what Jesus' teaching does in people's minds. Did they deserve it? Well, before we begin to look at that, um, I've, got a, I've got a book here. And it's a very interesting book. And it's a very helpful book. And it's a very simple to read book. It's an ABC book. And it tells you Suggestions, and of course these ABC boots are given to little people to help them to begin the process of learning how to read and write. And, uh, you know, I thank God for it. And I just love the different ways in which people have found to sort of start on this process in young lives. Well, it may start off, actually this one starts off Not with apple, as no doubt yours did, but this one begins with anteater. And it goes on to speak. And it's a wonderful picture of an anteater because I've never ever seen an anteater looking anything like that at all. But never mind. And B, of course, is a bear. There's a lovely teddy bear there. And then we get on to the cat and then we get on to the dog and all that sort of thing. So, you know, that's it. 
So let's have an ABC, and we won't go too far through the alphabet, but can you throw out some suggestions about things that are wrong with society today? Things that grate on you, things that you wish, you know, make you curl up inside. So anyone, any volunteers for A? Anger. Right, you know, one of the things that horrifies me about television programs is the amount of anger that is shown on them. Well done. Any other suggestions for A? Avarice. Greed. That's it. Well done. Okay, let's move on to B. Okay, well done. We, uh, it came off her tongue just like that. I wonder why. Right, okay. We need to pray, don't we? We need to pray. There's nothing left at all. Anything else for B? Blasphemy. Thank you. Well done. Well done. And C? Cruelty, well done. Corruption, crime, goodness knows what else. And so we could go on and on. We haven't got time, unfortunately, to be able to sort of go through all of those things. But I'm going to pick out one thing that you haven't mentioned. And that's found in this passage. And that is blame. Because we are sort of, you know, having a little bit too much about blame. I mean, what happened about Hillsborough? Who was to blame for this? Who was to blame for that? And it goes on and on and on. So these two happenings that happened, there were two things that they brought up, Pilate's slaughter of these people and the tower at Siloam that fell down and killed a number of people. Who was to blame? What was going through the minds of those who asked the question? I mean, they were people who had been brought up in the Jewish tradition. And the Jewish way of looking at things were, if you did right, God blessed you. And if you do wrong, you didn't get blessed. That sort of system worked in their minds. So... In John chapter 9, we read this blind man. The people asked, who sinned, this man or his parents? And when Paul picked up the sticks to put on the fire on the island of Malta in the Acts of the Apostles, um, you know, and this snake came out and bit him, people said, what they said, no doubt he's a murderer and justice has not let him live. The blame culture has been in the human psyche for a long, long time. Jesus asked, do you think these people were any worse sinners than anyone else? To deserve this? To deserve something more unpleasant than most of us experience? Did they deserve it? Was it because they were worse sinners? And their answer probably was, yes. 
or maybe probably. So, the popular saying, you know, we say, don't we, what have I done to deserve this when I drop the milk bottle on my toe or something of the sort, you know. What have I done to deserve this? Who are you talking to? God? The idea of a vengeful God is not very far away. And so, you know, we've got all this business going on, trials here, there and everywhere, Hillsborough and Bloody Sunday and all this. People are eaten up with this. Who is to blame? Now then, who's any better off as a result of all of this argy-bargy about finding out someone to blame? The lawyers. They're the only people that actually benefit. Because I'm sure that the people who get an answer, they say, oh, that's a conclusion to it all. And Oh, no, it isn't. Deep down inside of them, there is still this anger. This vengefulness. It's never actually put in words like that, but it's there, deep down. And Jesus was, uh, was ministry was like the gardener who was putting something different, something worthwhile into that kind of thinking and that kind of society. That's all I'm going to say about that vine that wasn't producing fruit and all that sort of thing. But you get the idea that Jesus, when he was here, kept throwing things that were worth having into the lives of people who were empty, who were out of tune with God, who lived in the kingdom of this world and had little idea of what the kingdom of heaven is like. That was Jesus' job. Now then, I'm told that you don't know this little chorus, but I'm going to ask you to learn it. We're going to pause and sort of let all of this sort of begin to sink in about the difference of the uh, kingdom of God in in our hearts. So here is this chorus, and some of you may know it. Give everyone else a surprise just by, anyway, you'll know it by the end of the service. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. Reach out and touch the Lord. 
There's an invitation, of course, in that. Now, I don't believe that anything happens by accident in God's scheme of things. Do you? It's quite a question, isn't it? Do things just happen by chance? Well, Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. What did the synagogue stand for? Sorry to throw these questions at you, but what did the synagogue stand for? Establishment of law. Okay, that's a beginning, but it's a good beginning. What? And this, I mean, you could ask, what does the church stand for as well? And interesting to know, you know, but we have to, can't delay too long on some of these things. But you see, there's the synagogue, there's the gathering, here are all the dignitaries, or however many they were, and they've invited Jesus, as he has come to worship on the synagogue, because Jesus was a Jew, come and worship on the synagogue, and they knew, they recognized him as a teacher, and they had asked him to speak. And Jesus sat down. And of course, in the Jewish system, when you sat down, that was the indication for the teaching to begin. The teacher always sat. And Jesus is sitting there, and the people are listening to whatever he has to say. We haven't a clue what he said, but he might be elaborating on something on the Sermon on the Mount. And the congregation, of course, are listening because they are respectful, they're polite, like you are today, and, um, you know, and uh, they're sort of a little bit, um, you know, they're graduated as they go back, you know, the important people are at the front, and the not so important people are behind them, and the lesser important people are behind them, and right at the back is this woman who is stooping crouching down and struggling to make, put one foot in front of another. And that's the sort of scene in which we are. And the congregation is concentrating on Jesus. She's there at the back. No one is paying any attention to her at all. Jesus, in spite of the fact that he was sitting there, he spots her. And he speaks to her. Because he is aware of the attitude of the people towards people who are ill, people who are crippled, people who have misfortune in their lives, in their mind was thinking, what have they done to deserve this? We don't know, but there's something. No smoke without fire and all that sort of thing. That's their attitude. That's their attitude. Here is Jesus saying, come here, come here. And all eyes to her enormous embarrassment were turned on her. Would you like to be in that position? No, I'm sure you wouldn't. But all eyes, you can imagine, turned on her. What's he going to say? 
Now here is a woman who has obviously done something that she shouldn't. Or someone in the family in time past. God is visiting, he is showing, he is displeased with something bad that's been done. That's almost what people were expecting him to say, to use her as an example, to humiliate her. And she would be expecting it. No, you wouldn't like to have been in her shoes. But what happened next? It must have absolutely blown their minds. He said to her, Woman, you are free to be the person God meant you to be. That's what it meant in the words that he said. You're free now. What did he mean? And he placed his hands upon her and she straightened up. And you can imagine how people were aghast. Not just because of what Jesus had said to her, but what he'd done for her. He'd absolutely changed this woman as if She'd never done anything wrong. And you would imagine that there'd have been an enormous hallelujah. Praise God for what he's done. And the dignitaries in the back began whispering amongst themselves. And they weren't whispering to saying, Isn't that fantastic? Isn't God gracious? What a wonderful thing we seem to not a bit of it. Don't let this sort of thing happen again. That's more or less what she said, they said. Don't let this. If you want anything like that, come on another day, but not on the Sabbath. It's a holy day. Don't mess it up with miracles. Well, it reveals, of course, that there was a certain hollowness in their lives. It reveals that there was a fear. They were afraid because the presence of God was manifesting itself. We don't want that here. They were blind to the miracle that had really happened and the change in that woman's life and all this sort of thing. That's what was revealed. But of course, we're all spiritual cripples in one way or another, out of tune in one way or another with God and all that. But when we sit at Jesus' feet, we can feel something. Now this woman felt embarrassment when she was called forward. She felt as if she was going to be humiliated. But as you read the scripture, you can realize that you need never feel that way with Jesus. He loves you. You need never feel that God is against you. 
Hallelujah for that. And we can feel that. We're meant to in a time of worship, in a time of togetherness with brothers and sisters in Christ together. I'm important to God and so are you. That's the love of Jesus amongst. No rejection, but attraction by the words and the teaching of Jesus. Another little chorus, which we're not going to sing, but we could do. He did not come to judge the world. He did not come to blame. He did not only come to seek. It was to save he came. And when we call him Savior, and when we call him Savior, and when we call him Savior, we call him by his name. Savior, not judge. Savior. Rescuer, healer, restorer. What a weight was lifted from that woman's being. Jesus has taken away my reproach, my pain, my isolation. I'm free. For the first time, I'm free. Well, if you look in the scriptures... Way back in the Old Testament, which of course all these dignitaries should have known very well, that there was someone who was going to come into the world who would bear our iniquities. Who would carry our sorrows. Everything bad about us would be laid on him. And by his wounds we'd be healed. Isaiah prophesied that a hundred thousand years before Jesus came. And he was there in that synagogue on that day and he's here today now. Nothing's changed. His love, his presence. And the woman allowed Jesus to make his presence felt in her life. I wonder what kind of disciple that woman became. Would she be attractive? Or would she be repelling? I have no doubt she was one of the most attractive people that you could ever meet. Because she had something to say about what God had done for her. And that's a message that all of us carry if we have asked Jesus into our lives and experienced how he can change things deep within us. He would be a wonderful representative of Jesus because there's no blame in God's kingdom, only an outreach of love to all who've lost God's way. So be assured today, on the basis of this passage and on the basis of what Jesus did for that woman, be assured that whoever you are and wherever you are spiritually, God loves you. God is for you. God is waiting for you to let him put his hands on your life and somehow take away fear, 
guilt, worry, shame, or whatever it is. He'll take it away because he loves you and he wants to make you the person he created you to be. So, have you given him permission to live within you? For he did not come to judge the world, didn't come to blame, didn't only come to seek, it was to save he came. And when we call him Saviour, Jesus is my Saviour, we call him by his name. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. If God's spoken to you and you want to speak with me or one of the leaders of the church or a friend you can trust, then don't leave it to another day. Do it today. Amen.